Welcome to episode 133 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed, but with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 133 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I'm doing great. Finally, feeling like fall, so I switched over my closet today. So, what does that entail? Switching over your closet? Well, I've got too many clothes to fit in just the master bedroom closet, <laughs> so I took out all the summery stuff and replaced it with the fall winter stuff. I just tend to wear the same thing year round, so <laughs> yeah, I don't because I'm completely a hundred percent shorts and like tank tops and spaghetti strap things during the warm months. And then in the winter, you know, I'll wear jeans and long sleeve shirts or like 
I'll, I might wear some leggings with, you know, a soft top over them that then turns into pajamas, the better that I sleep in. But I still get dressed every day. I mean, I'm working from home now, but I still get dressed as if I was going somewhere. Really? Like I don't have like around the house clothes versus going out clothes. I get dressed every day as if I'm going to go somewhere. And if I do, I'm already ready to go. We are the complete opposite. (laughs) I wear basically the exact same thing every day. But like, what do you do about the fact when it's hot versus now it's cold? I love being cold. So it works really well. The only slight change I make. So like shirt wise, I pretty much wear, I sort of have like seven shirts and it's basically the same shirt. And then the only slight difference that I really make when it's cold is I switch from wearing the same shorts to the same light sweatpants. Yeah. I probably have a hundred shirts and I'm not not kidding. Well, because I I have that for every single day because it completely reduces decision fatigue. And I've heard this is something that like, I think Obama does, (laughs) like a lot of presidents do and a lot of like, I don't know, like, because it reduces like it's one less decision to make. And then I have my going out wardrobe and that's all the clothes I really like. So my pretty dresses and all the the nice things, but that only happens when I'm (laughs) like going to something. See, I love waking up and making a decision about what do I feel like wearing today. So I'll check the weather and see, you know, because here in the fall in Georgia, it might be, you know, 50 degrees in the morning and 80 by the afternoon. So (laughs) I check the weather and I'll pick something that can take me from morning to night. And I enjoy getting dressed up just even to be around the house. I mean, I'm not like formal dressed up. I'm more casual than I was when I went to teach school every day. But yeah, I really enjoy wearing something different. Anyway, that's what I did. I switched over my closet. I'm still not wearing quite real shoes because it's not that cold yet. So I'm still wearing, I'm barefoot around the house and then I'll put on, you know, my flip-flops if I'm going out. Not quite boots yet. Oh, I did buy something really amazing for shoes. What is that? It's these grounding sticker things. You stick it to the bottom of the shoe and then you wrap it around to the inside. And so if you're walking outside it keeps you grounded. Well, that's fun. Yeah. I don't know if it's really working, but so I bought them. And then the next day there was a thunderstorm and I was walking outside in it. And my first thought, literally my first thought was, well, if I get struck by lightning, I will know that these grounding shoes don't work. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you didn't get struck by lightning. I know it's true. (laughs) So I guess we don't know. Oh, by the way, I sent you this message, but I cannot recommend enough. I think I talked about it last episode, but Simland's book, Metabolic Autophagy, it's making me realize how complicated autophagy is because we so often tend to think, oh, you know, I'm fasting, autophagy is on. Oh, I'm eating, autophagy is off, when really not so much. <laughs> like it's based on so many factors and Which is why I'm so, my pet peeve is a diagram that shows you this is the moment autophagy starts. I'm like, okay, stop, stop with these diagrams. Stop telling people that this is when autophagy starts. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, that's literally one of my, my huge pet peeves out there. And like, there's an app that has like a little sign that here's when you're in autophagy. No, no. And you're not in autophagy anyway, but people will sometimes say that. Yeah, it's completely crazy. And also that book, it's called Metabolic Autophagy. And the reason he called it that, which I'm still reading it, but the reason he called it that is because it's not just about autophagy. It's He's really going into the deep, deep science of metabolism, particularly how, in how it relates to fasting. That's honestly, I mean, at least so far has been the focus. So if anybody's really, really interested in the deep science of fasting and how it affects especially like genes and hormones and autophagy, <laughs> definitely check out that book. I will put a link to it in the show notes, which will be, by the way, at ifpodcast.com slash episode 133. Yeah. And I really want to get him on on my new podcast. All right. Well, definitely see how that goes. Yeah. It's, it's really, really great. I think he's self-published. Yeah. I imagine. It's so funny. He kind of reminds me of me a little bit. And somebody said this in my group yesterday, just because we're both around the same age and we both have really similar interests, it seems, and similar podcasts. Cause his book is basically really similar to mine. <laughs> it's like interviewing just all the people, but he definitely has a much more 
nuanced and very intense grasp on these mechanisms. It's a perfect pair to David Sinclair's Lifespan book. Those two books. And I will just say, and I also sent I also sent this to Jen, but I think, especially with fasting, that I'm realizing more and more how important the epigenetic factor is when it comes to fasting. So we often think, oh, you're in the fasted state. And then that creates, you know, autophagy or that creates healing or that's like the mechanism when I think it seems like there's this in-between step that it's more like, I mean, I'm not saying this is like the case across, across the board, but the sense that I'm getting from reading all of this is that entering the fasted state creates these epigenetic changes in the moment that then create those changes. So basically, you know, going into the fasted state causes these different genes to turn on or off, and then that causes the beneficial effects. And the reason I'm just drawing attention to that is I think that also can explain why we can get, you know, benefits similar to fasting, and I'm not encouraging this, but like benefits similar to fasting without necessarily being fasted, just with things like they talk about, you know, fasting memetics and things like that. It's just really, really, really fascinating. So I will put links to all that in the show notes. It really is fascinating, but also makes me, I don't know how to explain it, makes me less worried about having to micromanage the process. Like people who are trying to measure ketones and check this and check that and optimize this and fast this long and what's happening right this minute in my body. It's almost like, you know, here I am 50 years old saying, don't worry, fast, let it happen. Your body is doing what it needs to do. You don't have to try to micromanage or know what's happening every minute, because even if we think we know, there's stuff we don't know. And it just, you know, relax about it. Trust that good stuff is happening. The more I learn, the more I'm like, let's all just let it happen. (laughs) Yeah. We obviously with the caveat of like you said, subscribing to that fasting paradigm. So it's not going to, it's not just going to happen. No, no. But the, if you're, if you are fasting and you're giving your time, your body time in the fasted state, I think you do need to get to, you know, to 16 hours plus, because we know that these processes start to ramp up between 18 and 24 hours for most of us. You know, it's not a set in stone timeline, but you know, generally that's when the processes start to ramp up. So you do need to be dipping into that period of time, but you don't have to overly stress about, oh my God, what's my ketone level? You know, oh no, what's happening? Am I getting the autophagy? Am I experiencing benefit? You know, yeah, your body is doing a lot of things back there and you don't have to really worry so much as long as you're fasting clean and, and letting your body do what it needs to do. You do have to give yourself sufficient time in the fasted state. That's true. But that doesn't mean you have to fast for 40 days and 40 nights straight. Exactly. All right. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yes. All right. So to start things off, we have a question from Nikki. The subject is problems with dinner time, one meal a day, any suggestions? And Nikki says, hi, ladies, love you both. And thank you for the work you do. I've been doing IF on and off for the last few years, but have only committed to it daily for the last three months. I usually follow a 18-6 pattern with varying eating times, mostly ending at 8 p.m. A few times a week, I enjoy having just one meal a day within two to three hours. I usually start my window around 3 p.m. and I'm done by 6. It works perfectly for me and I want to start going into the one meal a day lifestyle. However, I want to shift my window to a dinner time window so I can enjoy dinner with my family and friends. The problem is that I've been having a lot of trouble with that. I can't seem to wait until dinner on most days and I end up opening my window earlier and eating more than I should before dinner starts. Any tips to help me adjust to a dinner one meal a day window? Would love to hear your suggestions. Thank you both. All right. So Jen, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a great question. And really, you did say you're having trouble opening it earlier and eating more than you should, Nikki. So I don't know if what I'm about to say is going to help you or not. That being said, you know, having trouble waiting until dinner to open your window. See, some people do better opening their window with a snack and then having the meal later. That is very much the way I do my one meal a day. You know, if you're having trouble waiting until whatever time it is that your family is eating, don't force yourself to do it just because you think that you need to eat in that really short two to three hour window. It doesn't need to be a two to three hour window. 
you know, you like to open your window at three and you said some days you go until 8 p.m. So just shift it three to eight. That would be a five hour window. And that is very similar to what I do. And I might not eat till four. I might, it might be later, but some days around three o'clock, I'll have a snack and it's not a huge snack. It's just, you know, something that I'm eating food now. And then, you know, it, it gets me through that part of the afternoon. I mean, I could wait later if I wanted to. I could wait till dinner, but I'm also in maintenance. So that's a, a key to keep in mind there. I don't need to wait till dinner. I enjoy having my afternoon snack. It feels right to my body. And then when I cook dinner, you know, we sit down and have dinner by about seven every night. And so I'm usually done by about eight. So that's, you know, about a five hour window. I might extend it. You know, if I'm drinking a glass of wine, I might keep my window open till nine, then go to bed later. But yeah, that's my my maintenance flexibility. But think about the idea of having a snack that'll kind of get you towards that dinner time and then have your meal. You're saying that you're having trouble eating more than you should before dinner starts. That could happen for me if I don't portion out what I'm going to have. What I mean is like, let's say I'm going to have cheese and crackers to open my window. If I take the cheese and crackers that I'd like to have and put them on a plate and then go have that, that's usually fine. If though I sat down with the block of cheese and the box of crackers, I would probably keep eating past what I would normally eat. And then I've had too much snack and that's going to, you know, mess up my dinner. So, you know, give yourself a snack size portion of something, have your snack. And then, you know, when you're cooking dinner, I enjoy cooking and my husband might be having chips and salsa. He likes to have a little something while I'm cooking and I might have a chip with him and chips and salsa here and there. And then dinner comes and I eat my dinner and I stop when I'm satisfied. You know, I don't always eat 100% of my dinner either. You know, if I've had a slightly larger snack, I have my dinner there and I'm like, oh, I've had enough and I'll stop eating. So just keep in mind that you're completely in charge with how you structure it. And if you're a podcast listener or if you've read Delay, Don't Deny, you know that I consider a snack and a meal to be one meal a day. And that perfectly fits in the way you want to live your life. Eating dinner with your family, I think, is important. And I wouldn't give up that family time for anything. And I like to eat with them. I know we could just sit with them you know, while they eat dinner, but I like to eat dinner with my family. It's a special time. So try it and see if you can make that work for you. Now, some people don't do well with a snack and then dinner. They just don't because they need to open with their largest you know, food experience for the day. But if that's true for you, then maybe consider dinner with your family to be your snack. You know, have a lot, your larger meal at three. And then when it's dinner time with your family, just have a little bit of what they're having. You know, you're having time with them, you're eating with them, but it's not like a full giant dinner size portion, if that makes sense. So just think about how it feels right to you. A snack and a meal or a meal and a snack within a, a five-hour window in my book is one meal a day. And I think that could work nicely for your situation. Yeah. So I have some other ideas as well, because what I'm hearing from you, Nikki, is that you seem to really like this one meal a day within two to three hours. So more of the like actual meal. So like not having the snack, that's just what I'm hearing. Like you enjoy having just one meal within two to three hours, but you're just struggling with making that transition because, you know, you said when you can't wait until dinner, you try to open earlier sort of with a snack and then you eat more and then it just doesn't pan out, which I hear you. So some other ideas you could try as well is, so I have two like big ideas to try. So Nikki, you can let me know your thoughts. The first one is similar to what Jen was saying, where just addressing how you are having that opening snack if you choose to have an opening snack. So if you decide to do that where you do open your window earlier, but then you still are shifting later to include a dinner. I talked about this on last week's podcast, but because willpower can be really, really hard and I am right there with you with knowing what it feels like to have this plan of I'm just going to eat this small amount here and then I'll have the dinner and then it just like doesn't work. So I definitely recommend that you check out the little book of big change. It's the no willpower approach to breaking any habit. It's about Amy Johnson. I'm not going to talk about it greatly at length, but basically it's just an amazing, fantastic approach of how to really break any habit by just not engaging with that urge. So if you were doing the the snack approach, opening earlier and you want to curtail not going into a full meal 
earlier than you anticipated, how you can work in that moment to just start with like a smaller snack, like Jim was saying. So that's an option. Another option, and this was my first thought, and I think might work the best if you ideally want to ultimately get to this one meal a day within two to three hours. A, we know you can do it because you say you do enjoy having just one meal a day a few times a week within two to three hours. So we know you are completely capable of having one meal within two to three hours. It just seems that the problem is pushing those hours back a little bit later. So how about you try having a two to three hour window every day, but not starting right away at the dinner time. So instead of thinking, oh, I have to switch right away to a shortened window at dinner, which that's where the problem comes in because then you end up opening earlier. What if we just do it in small steps? Because honestly, you could get to it by changing it by an hour and you would be there in three days, just three days. So if you did three to 6 p.m., you know, one day, then the next day, just change the window from four to seven. And don't even like think of it as like, oh, this is my dinner window. Just think of it as you're shifting the time a little and eat how accordingly within that window. Then the next day, five to eight, bam, you're there. <laughs> um, or if you want to make it six to nine, then the next day, make it six to nine. That's what I would really suggest trying. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Good tips. We have a question from Winnie and the subject is audible plus long meals. When he says, hi, Jen and Melanie, thanks for all that you do for the IF community. I have been binge listening and fasting between 16 to 18 hours on most days since May of this year, and so far have noticed my hormones bouncing out, which is amazing. I have two questions. I am a mom with two little kids. I love that mom. So she must be from the UK. Oh, no, there she is, New Zealand. She's from New Zealand. She said it later. She said, I am a mom with two little kids, and as you can imagine, my time is scarce. So I'm wondering if there are any plans for Feast Without Fear to be on Audible soon. Side note, Melanie, I found your book on Audible. However, it's not available for download in New Zealand. Frown face. So I'm still slowly making my way through the printed version. Second question. With looking after a little one during the day, sometimes I get super sidetracked during my meals, i.e. having to deal with a diaper bomb, needy toddler, etc., So it could be 30 to 40 minutes between the first and second half of my meal. How long between bites would you consider it still as one meal? I'm worried my dragged out meal will keep insulin levels high and turn this into a less effective process. Look forward to hearing your thoughts on this. Thank you both, beautiful ladies. All right. So Jen, do you want to talk about the Audible first? Yes, I do have plans to do it, but I have been doing a million other things first. And so my super secret projects (laughs) that I'll talk about hopefully soon. So possibly maybe coming in 2020, I haven't started it yet. It's really an in-depth process to record the audio version. It takes a lot of uninterrupted time and there's a lot of logistics involved. And it's really a grueling kind of process, you know, like childbirth. You're glad when it's over. So when I recorded Delayed on Deny, I was like, oh, thank goodness I did it. But whew, that was a lot. So yes, I'll get to it, but it's not going to be really soon. So, you know, you can have like Alexa read it to you if you're on a Kindle. Now, it's not going to sound like me reading it to you, but just something to keep in mind. You know, some of the audiobook readers will read them to you. For what, when, wine? Yeah, I don't really have any control over the, the territories. And it is finally, it's available, I believe, in the UK and the US so unfortunately, oh, I wish, but I will reach out to my publisher about that and see if we can make that happen. It's just so interesting how the whole publishing process works. When you self-publish, you can have something be instantly available, like within 24 hours, just boom, there it is. But with the traditional publishing world, wheels turn slowly. Yeah, they really do. And it's weird how you don't have control over some things. But it's still like a wonderful collaborative process, assuming you're working with... It is. And it's nice because you're not 100% doing it yourself. That's also nice. You're not having to worry about everything. (laughs) I know. I think one of my favorite things with traditionally publishing What When Wine was like them making the index for me. (laughs) I was like, see, that's one thing I didn't have to do. Did you make an index for your first version? Did you make it? I didn't. So... Like, I remember when I got the draft of the book, I don't know, my publisher did an amazing job with the index. Like, because you know how sometimes the in- indexes in books are like 
they're sort of helpful, but not really. Like the index in my book was is like so amazing. It was like Christmas. It's so cool when your publisher is really open to like, you know, working with you and making your vision come to light. And for my book, they were even open to really random things I would ask. Like I was asking when they put my signature, if they could use an image. So it would be my actual handwritten signature and stuff like that. And yeah, they were great. They were so open to it. It's fun. All right. So moving on to Winnie's second question, which by the way, Winnie, whenever I hear the word Winnie, I just think of Winnie from um, Wonder Years. I knew that's what you were going to say. Yeah, I do too. Great show. And now whenever I think of Wonder Years and Winnie, I think of how she's in all the Hallmark movies now. Oh, I don't ever watch those. Oh, they're my favorite. I tried at Christmas. People are always talking about watching all those Christmas movies. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to watch them. And I watched one. And then I watched another one. I'm like, this is the same exact movie. (laughs) Okay. Yes, they are. They are. But so what you have to do, Jen, is you have to, you have to like research and you have to make a list and you have to record all of them. So like you record like 20 of them, you start watching and then you give it like a little bit. You see if you relate to the characters, if you like them. But if, it, if it's a no, you just you just nix it. And you just move on to the next one. But then you find those gems and those gems are amazing. All right. Because I was like, this is not for me. Oh, it's it's for me. I can make you a list. Okay. Make me a list of must have to watch ones. Give me that. I can do that. Because I was like, yeah, this is not my genre. Yeah. One of my most like amazing surreal moments with acting was when I was like in one of those like, <laughs> like lifetime Christmas movies. And it was like, this is the best moment ever. It was really exciting. So you, you made it onto the final version? Yeah, it was a Santa, like a Santa girl, like in the mall. And it was like all Christmassy. Oh, it was wonderful. Good times. It was Christmas in the city, which is what it was called. Anyways, so her second question. So I think this is a really good timing, actually, with this question. It kind of goes back to our conversation that Jen and I were having at the beginning about how really there's no point. I mean, not there. there is a point, but I don't know how beneficial it is to analyze, oh, is this creating this amount of insulin at this moment? Like we really, really just don't know. And so I think in the end, I would not sweat it. I would just commit to your window and not sweat it. That's the entirety of my answer. Yeah, because I mean, I don't worry about timing of bites and considering it one meal. It's still one meal. I mean, you have one meal of food. It's one meal. I mean, even for me, I would consider it one meal. If I had one meal and I ate half of it, and then five hours later, I ate the other half, I still consider that one meal worth of food. If I ate one bite every five minutes for 12 hours, I mean, obviously that's not going to be ideal because I think the whole key is how long is your window versus how long is the fasted state. And again, as long as you're averaging at least 16 hours a day for the health benefits. And if you're trying to lose fat, you want to get into that 18 to 24 hour period from time to time. And as long as you're doing that, getting to that 16 to 18 to 24 hour period here and there, I think what happens within your window is not as big of a deal. I mean, Dr. Burt Hearing in his work, he actually grazes his way through his window. He has a five hour window. That's his his preferred approach. So I wouldn't sweat it. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't even want to engage in the, what are we calling one meal versus not? Because as listeners probably know, if they're familiar with us, Jen and I have differing opinions on that. But the point is, I don't think it's important. I think it's exactly what Jen said, that the overall window is key. So semantics, terminology, look at like the hours, the window, you know, are you eating within this window? And I think that would be the most beneficial for most people. So the next question comes from Allison. Allison says, I recently purchased colostrum because I heard you guys talking about it and thought I'd give it a shot. However, I'm not sure if it breaks fast. It says on the package to take in the morning and before bed. It's a powder that tastes yummy. So I feel like it does break the fast. I know Melanie said she takes it before she breaks her fast, but I also want to follow instructions on it as well and take it every day. But sometimes I fast for 24 plus hours. Let me know what you think. Thanks. All right. I will say uh, before you jump in, Jen. So I'm not sure what I said, Allison, that gave the impression that I made it seem like I was taking it before breaking my fast. But when I've taken colostrum in the past, which... I don't know if it's colostrum or colostrum. I've heard it said both ways, but basically what it is, is it's derived from milk, typically bovine milk, and that would be cows. (laughs) And um, 
It basically has a lot of the immune factors and gut supporting health benefits that nourish a newborn. So it can be very supportive of gut health and especially people with like leaky gut, things like that. It has a lot of immune modulating properties. Allison, the reason most likely it's recommending that you take it in the morning and before bed, and Jen and I have talked about this before, but in general, my thoughts when supplements recommend that, it's because they want you to take it on an empty stomach. And most people have an empty stomach in the morning and before bed. Most people... (laughs) not necessarily us one meal a day or is eating our, you know, late meals. So for colostrum, I would recommend taking it once a day, opening your window with it, considering it the beginning of your eating window. That's what I think would be most beneficial. Jen, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think so too. It's actually the first milk produced by the mammary glands of a mammal immediately following delivery of the newborn. So it's like special, you know, it's got... I remember when I was pregnant and reading all about delivery and, you know, they, they talk about the colostrum. It's the first that comes in before you get your regular milk. So it's like a clear liquid. That's more than maybe people wanted to know. But, you know, it's definitely something that has nutritional value for the newborn. One clue that Allison put in there is that it tastes yummy. And when you're trying to follow a clean fast, if something tastes yummy, that's generally a sign it's not going to be something that's safe for fasting because based on what we know about how the body responds to tastes, the only taste that doesn't stimulate either an insulin or a salivary response is is like a bitter taste. So that's why coffee and tea are a good choice during the fast. But if you're drinking something that tastes yummy, you know, milky, or I don't even know what it would taste like because I have not ever had colostrum, maybe except when I was a newborn, I might have had some, I'm not sure. (laughs) But I wouldn't have anything that tastes yummy during a fast ever. That's just something to keep in mind. Like if you're trying to decide if a tea works for during the fast, if you taste it and you're like, man, this is yummy, that should be a sign. It's probably not a good tea for the fast. If it tastes bitter, it's probably okay. So that could just be your, your metric for things. Whenever I hear milky, do you know what I think of? I don't. Milky White, the cow went into the woods. I don't know what that is. The musical by Sondheim. Oh, yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Which musical? Into the Woods. Okay. I have. Yeah. See, I got bad news. I got to admit this. I don't like musicals. Oh, I don't like them. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry, world, to let you know. I've tried to like all of them. Have you engaged with like really good musicals? I was in musicals. I grew up in the theater. My mother was a dance teacher. She married a theater technical director. I was in Fiddler on the Roof. I was in Anything Goes. And I enjoyed being in them. That was fun. I don't like those musicals though. See, I like those old timey musicals, I guess. Maybe that's that's it. Like I remember going to see Phantom of the Opera and everybody was like, oh my God, Phantom of the Opera. I saw it at the Fox Theater in Atlanta. And I went to go see it. And I didn't know what the story was. And I was like, I didn't like it. (gasps) I went to see Les Mis here in town. I knew a bunch of people that were in it. And I was like, didn't like it. So it's me. I like an upbeat, showy kind of musical. Like I liked Oliver. I like Oliver a lot. My son Will was in Oliver here locally and it was fabulous. But I also know all the songs because I used to listen to the soundtrack. What about like comedy musicals or... Well, like I would like probably Mamma Mia. Okay. See, yeah, we have completely different musical tastes. Right. What about really award-winning deep musicals? I would 100% think I would not like that. (laughs) I like upbeat music. I like things that are cheery. I like a story that moves on along. I have a short attention span. So I'm trying to think, I'm sure there's, now I'm going to be thinking of like, what about like, like Waitress, the musical? I didn't see that one. I don't know anything about it. Oh. I actually went to see a musical in Atlanta recently that was previewing there called Becoming Nancy. And I did love that one. That was upbeat. It had, you know, the good upbeat songs. So apparently that's my musical style. I like upbeat musicals that are cheery. And I mean, the whole thing wasn't cheery. Don't get me wrong. But the upbeat songs, I just don't like the more like I I like a happy ending, too. So one of my all-time favorite musicals of all time is Next to Normal. I don't know anything about that one. Gosh, it is so good. I think it's one of the only musicals that actually won a Pulitzer Prize, which tends to be, I think, rare for musicals. Oh, 
So good. So good. Now I'm going to be thinking, I'm going to go through my like musical list because I get so excited every year and I listen to all the new musicals and, you know, see what's out there. I'm going to see if there, if I have any musicals that are like upbeat and funny that I adore. See, I would like those. I like upbeat and funny. You might like, I love you. You're perfect. Now change. It's so funny. It's really funny. I'm going to go through. What about, what about Wicked? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I haven't seen it. Jen, I think Wicked might be the one for you. It might be. Yeah, I think I think it would be. I think it would be. Let me know if you ever see it because I actually do think you would like it. How did we get on the topic of musicals? Because I said Milky reminded me of Milky White from Into the Woods. Oh, okay. And I, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm not up on all that. I, I probably am more familiar with some of the older ones, like I said, because back in in the 70s, 80s, that's when I was involved in the theater community. And so, I mean, things like Anything Goes, those are like really old musicals. I liked those. See Wicked and report back. All right. If I have a chance, I will. Nobody asked me to go see Les Mis, though. No. (laughs) Do you love that one? Yes. But here, having this conversation with you, I would say, don't go see that, Jen. You would not like it. No. I also maybe have a shorter attention span. I have a hard time sitting still for ones that are really long. Okay. I do think Wicked. I think that could be it. Okay. I probably would. I probably would like that one. Wicked is just like, oh, it's just... I can't even. And I was a fan since like day one, like before it was even a thing. Okay. Shall we move on to the next question? Yes. This is from Jessica and the subject is IF and chronic health issues. Hello, Melanie and Jen. I am so happy I found your podcast and I am currently on episode 35. I can't get enough of the podcast. I also enjoy learning about the stuff you ladies like. As I am also super interested in health, wellness, and nutrition, I would love to hear your input on my questions. I know you two will thoroughly research my questions, and I truly appreciate it. I am currently doing the 16-8 protocol with a whole foods diet. I suffer from chronic health issues, and I'm wondering how IF can specifically improve my health, and I appreciate any other tips you may have as well. I am currently in Lyme remission along with two other co-infections, so that's good. After having my daughter, I developed the autoimmune disorder postpartum acquired hemophilia type A, which happens to one in a million people. I recently found out I have a hypopituitarism. I may have pronounced that wrong. Hypo means slow, pituitary. So uh, I guess that she has a slow working pituitary gland. And I'm now trying to figure out the root cause. Last year, I suffered a TBI, that's traumatic brain injury, in a bad car accident along with my hypothyroid, diabetes, hypoglycemia, anxiety slash depression, food sensitivities, headaches slash migraines, I am hoping your input will help me on my healing journey. Should I change my 16-8 window? Do you know how IF will improve any of the health issues I mentioned or any other advice you ladies have? I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. I am 34 years old and I also suffer from gut issues and I've had my gallbladder removed. Just wanted you ladies to know that too. Thank you. All right, Jessica. Well, thank you so much for your email. And there's so much, so much here and I have a lot of thoughts on it. So for anybody who does struggle with chronic health issues, I completely understand. It's so interesting how, I mean, our bodies are so, I want to say holistic, like when like one issue comes up, it can often create this perfect storm approach where a lot of other issues come up. And then I think, you know, things just get intertwined. And I honestly do think that our perspective and our our nervous system gets involved. And so it can easily, and I know this is a dreary picture to start, but I promise I will end on a very positive note. Things can easily spiral downwards just when you get caught in this chronic health type conditions. So I am right there with you, Jessica. I want you to know that you're not alone, (laughs) that a lot of people go through this and that healing is completely possible. And so many people have overcome chronic health conditions. And I don't care what people say. I don't think you have to live with certain chronic health conditions for life. There are a few things that I quote reject, but I reject that idea that you're destined to any sort of health condition for life. I don't think that's the case at all. So few different thoughts here. As far as intermittent fasting and it's how it would affect chronic health conditions, I don't have research on how fasting specifically affects every different thing that you mentioned. That said, 
especially after reading, and I keep talking about this book, but guys, definitely get David Sinclair's book, Lifespan. It is very sciencey, but he writes it. It's still approachable. That one versus the metabolic autophagy, which they do cover similar concepts. I actually think Lifespan is slightly more approachable in how it's written. But just reading that, coming away from it, I felt so empowered with how things like fasting are ridiculously, A, ridiculously healing for the body, and B, how fast we can make changes with some of these lifestyle practices and also how it's never too late. I remember I got really excited because he said in one part of the book that he was talking about the benefits of calorie restriction and when do we see these benefits and like implementing them and he was saying, you know, it's probably best to start them early, like around 40 or so. And I was like, okay. Like I thought he was like, cause when I heard the first part started early, I thought he was going to be like, you know, 17, you know, still like 40. So we, we can make rapid changes. I do believe and massive changes, regardless of how deep you feel like things have spiraled or how bad things have gotten, especially just the more and more we learn about the epigenome and the genome. And sorry, I don't want to go into too much of a too much of a detail in a tangent here, but I do think it really relates to this a lot. And that is the fact that what David does discuss in that book Lifespan, his universal theory of aging, which aging is often proposed by many leaders to be related to things like these chronic health conditions. So this damage done to our body, this oxidative stress, this wearing and tearing, this inflammation, these diseases that's often correlated to aging. What he discusses is that regardless of the amount of damage done to any part of the body because of things like Jessica's experiencing, that somehow our cells actually have innate memories of what they are beyond and before those conditions happened. And what he's found in his research is that that memory of that cell before that damage happened resides in the epigenome. So Jen and I often talk about epigenetics. So, you know, how your environment is affecting the cell and how the environment is affecting your body and our mindset and so many things. And what David Sinclair has found is that that is actually very, very true on a scientific level. So regardless of the amount of damage or disease or illness that you have experienced, you've never lost the ability to go back to a state without that. That doesn't get lost because it doesn't reside in the part of the cell that's damaged, which would be the the genes, like genetic damage. The memory resides in the epigenetics. So what that means for you, and just as a side note, he's actually done studies where they reverse something that they thought was, so up until his work, we thought that certain damage involving the eye could never be reversed, that that was permanent, but doing their their studies and having these, these epigenetic changes and using this, like reinstilling this memory, it's crazy, but they actually have restored vision, which was thought to be not possible. So Jessica, regardless of whatever you're experiencing, you can know from a scientific foundational perspective that it is actually completely possible to interstate in the future without any of those conditions. How fasting comes into play, it's going to be supportive of that. And that is a huge part of his book as well. So Entering in the fasted state is going to turn on these genes that start the repair process that help undo the inflammation, the damage, things that have happened from your chronic disease. So I would really, really encourage you to understand that from a scientific level. On top of that, the second part is I do think the mindset is actually huge. And while you are on this journey of battling these chronic health issues, I think it's so important to work on your mindset. So maybe working with a therapist who specializes in mindfulness or cognitive behavioral therapy or something where you can work on changing your mind and your brain and your thoughts and your perception of your illness so you don't see it as you, so you see you as separate from it and that 
you will persevere. And something that really stuck with me, I was talking about that that habit book earlier. Something she said that I just thought was amazing was that we are the sky. So like ourself, you know, our being, we are the sky. The conditions that we're experiencing, so chronic health issues, that's like the weather. And it doesn't matter how stormy the weather is, it doesn't actually change the sky. So even on like a thunderstorm, a day when there's a thunderstorm, the sky is actually still blue and shining. It's not touched by the weather. It actually can't be touched by the weather because it's not the weather. So Jessica, you can know that no matter what happens and no matter what chronic health condition you're experiencing, it's not changing who you are and it can change just like the weather can change and that's okay. So I totally totally encourage you to embrace that. Also, definitely listen to my interview with Ariane Resnick. She had a she wrote a book recently called How to Be Well When You're Not and she experienced her own chronic health conditions and her book is an amazing resource for it's not about the physical steps to how to heal. It's about things I just discussed, mindset, habits, how you can reframe, how you can grow stronger from what you are experiencing. And I had an interview with her on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. So I'll put a link to that interview in the show notes. And then one last thing I actually will suggest is limbic system retraining, which is DNRS. That was developed by a woman called Annie Hopper, but actually a lot of people with chronic health issues have completely reversed health issues through that program. And basically it relates to epigenetics as well, but basically the idea that when people get trapped in this spiral of all these health conditions, that the limbic system has become involved. So basically the body is in a constant state of panic and threat, and it responds to everything as a threat. So you get all these like symptoms of illness, like across the board. And her program actually works to reset the limbic system so you cannot have that response and enter a state of healing. So I know that was really long. There was a lot there, but basically, Jessica, keep doing what you're doing. I think know that intermittent fasting is definitely helping you. Encourage you to look into the mindset stuff and gratitude and those books that I mentioned, that interview with Ariane. And yeah, those are my thoughts. Jen? All right. That was a lot of thoughts. I'll go in a slightly different direction and be shorter with this. But one thing that Jessica asked is if she should change her 16-8 window. And I actually probably wouldn't for a while just because we don't want to overstress our bodies. And it sounds like your body's got a lot going on there. And so I would start with a gentle approach like 16-8. Also recognizing that you didn't mention if you're trying to lose weight or not at all. That wasn't even in there. So one thing that's important to understand is if you've got a lot of health things going on, your body is going to focus on healing before it focuses on fat loss and you know, losing weight. So if you know you've got a lot of, you know, long list of things like Jessica, you're going to need to devote some time to healing before your body can even think about getting you to your ideal weight because your your body does prioritize healing. Just keep that in mind. So, you know, if you start to feel better, if you can do a longer fast, a little shorter eating window, do that, but don't push yourself, you know, really pay attention to how your body feels and focus on the idea that your body is healing during the fast. And I love that you're choosing a whole foods diet, you know, you're feeding your body the nutrients that it needs, really pay attention to how these foods work for you and how they make you feel. That's my best advice there. It's not going to reverse everything, you know, intermittent fasting addresses a lot of things in our bodies, but not not everything, but it can certainly improve your health so much that you feel better, even with conditions that intermittent fasting is not reversing or quote, you know, fixing. Yeah. There always is the possibility, be it through fasting or whatever it is through. I just wanted to, and it is possible that you could reverse everything in theory. It just depends on what the things are. Also, as far as the thyroid aspect comes up, just because she mentioned that, I'm having an episode on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast with L Russ, and we've had her on the intermittent fasting podcast as well. And interviewing her, it's interesting. It's so interesting because I talked about this in the episode with her, but oftentimes people have a specialty and they'll think everything's related to that. So like if they're a Lyme specialist, they'll they'll think everything's related to Lyme (laughs) or if they're 
a heavy metal specialist will think everything's heavy metals. If you're a carpenter and you have a hammer, you think everything looks like a nail. <laughs> that famous analogy. If they are a medium in the medical world, they think everything's EBV. Like <laughs> that said, it's possible that like the one aspect where I think it could possibly relate to everything, or even if it's not the root cause that it likely will get affected in the process is the thyroid, because it is the master gland driving the metabolism and the metabolic working of every single cell in your body. So I think it's one of the go-tos as far as if it's not working, other things are probably not going to be working well. And if you're experiencing health problems, it's very likely that that could be involved. So I definitely encourage you to listen to that episode with LRES. I will put a link to it in the show notes. And I think it's probably going to air around the time this comes out. So yeah, I love now, Jen, that I can refer people to the episodes that go deep on these topics. Yeah, that's good. I think that's fabulous. Super helpful. All right. Any thoughts from you before we go? No, I think it was another great episode. We got into some very deep dives and also now people know what we like to watch (laughs) and not watch. And look, this might be bad to say, but Maybe you should send me the list of the Hallmark movies you don't like, since we have the opposite (laughs) taste in musicals. You know, I was thinking about that. These are the ones I don't like. I have a different taste in in shows. Just like with, oh, I did eat a cashew the other day and I liked it. You you like cashews, right? Mm, So much. Yeah. And I said I didn't like them, but now I think I like them now. Oh, you do. Sorry. Now I'm just thinking about how my dream world, I just eat cashews all day. But I I didn't used to like cashews and I had like some kind of nut mixture my husband was eating and I ate a cashew and I'm like, oh, I like this. So I thought I needed to tell you. Didn't it taste like this divine piece of heaven from heaven? It did taste good. Yeah. And I didn't used to like them. So there you go. I love them. But if I eat them, that's crazy. Like the next day, brain fog, fatigue, my digestion stops. It's like, oh gosh. Well, I'm really sad that I brought it up. <laughs> yeah. Cashews are a really sore point for me. Oh, it's sad. Anyways, for listeners, for all the stuff we like, although I don't think we list any musicals on there, but you can go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. The show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 133. We are a Himalaya partnered show. If you follow us in the Himalaya app, you can get early access to our podcast 24 hours in advance. So that's amazing and awesome. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod. All right. So I will talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. All right. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.